0: There's one thing that you know about me as a person. It's that uh, I love stories. I think all Christians should love stories, honestly. God. Um, And I don't mean the fact that, you know, God tells us false stories or fictional stories. I mean that for some reason God has chosen to reveal himself to us primarily in the scriptures and throughout history god has revealed himself to us through stories narratives characters setting plot conflict climaxes resolutions i love stories and i, I even love stories that aren't in the bible we have a lot of uh, gifted storytellers down through history mankind has been blessed with tons of great storytellers because we're made in the image of a storytelling God. People like Jane Austen, or Mark Twain, or Leo Tolstoy, or Frederick Douglass, Homer, Dante, John Bunyan. All of these storytellers have things to teach us about who we are as people, and mankind, and the world we live in, and God, and ourselves. I love stories. But I always don't love preaching stories. I don't always love preaching stories because stories are complex. Stories don't always boil down to three main points. You know, the stories, especially in the Bible, are not fables. It's not like you get to the end and there's just, here's the one moral of the story. No, they're involved. They're teaching us a lot of stuff all at once. And for a preacher, that can be a little bit overwhelming, to be honest. How do you pick? When you've got a story that's teaching you a 100 things about God and the world and, and yourselves and all of these things, how do you pick three of them to preach on? But Hebrews is different. Hebrews is easy. In fact, if you were here about a month ago when we began this series, I actually preached the whole book of Hebrews as a sermon in itself because of the 66 books we have in the Bible, Hebrews is the closest thing we've got to a New Testament church sermon. Which means, unlike books like Matthew, Mark, Luke, Genesis, Exodus, Revelation, Hebrews is easy to preach. The points are just right there. Why don't you turn to uh, Hebrews 4.14 with me this morning? I'll show you exactly what I mean. So uh, so I had a, a preaching professor at Southern Seminary by the name of Dr. Herschel York, and he was an expert orator, communicator, preacher. And uh, here was the advice that he would always give new pastors is try to make all of your sermon points imperatives. Y'all know what an imperative is? It's, it's, it's a command, it's telling you to do something, okay? Um, so the problem is when you're preaching stories is that, uh, there are no clear imperatives in the text. You've got to deduce from the story, what is God telling us to do? And that's not always clear. But with Hebrews, you guys there yet? All right, so my text this morning is Hebrews 4, 14 through five ten. In this passage, we don't have to guess and deduce what God wants us to do. Books like Hebrews just come out and tell us. And so all you have to do is find the two or three imperatives in the text, and guess what? You have your three sermon points. (coughs) All right? So let's look at our text this morning, Hebrews 4, beginning in in 14. I will tell you the first one. Our first imperative is in the first verse. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast. Our Confession there's point one. Hold fast. All right. I don't mind a little participation here this morning. Let's see. Everyone keep reading. I want to see someone raise their hand when they think they found the second imperative. I'll give you a minute. What do you got, Dave? There it is. Draw near verse 16. Everyone. (laughs) Very nice. Yes. See, Dave, you're already halfway to writing a sermon. All right. Those are our two points this morning. Hold fast and draw near. And you guys are saying to yourself, gee, if it's that easy, what does Pastor Dad, Chad do all the rest of the week? Well, let's not think too long on that question. All right. Why don't we, uh, everyone in chapter four, we're going to hold fast. We're going to draw near. We're going to stand as we read God's word. Let's do that together. Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 14. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. This section of the epistle to the Hebrews actually began back in chapter 3 and verse 1, where the author exhorted us in this way, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now we see in verse 14 of chapter 4, where we started this morning, he has circled back to that same idea. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And that's our first imperative. Our exhortation this morning is, number one, hold fast. Let us hold fast our confession. You think about the Christian life, and a lot of the Christian life is just holding on. Holding fast, not letting go, not drifting, continuing one more day in the faith, taking another step of obedience, making it to church one more Sunday, opening your Bible the next time. Just holding fast. The thing that the author of Hebrews is calling us to hold fast to, according to verse 14, is the thing we were called to consider back in chapter 3, verse 1. Our confession. Hold fast our confession. The word confession means our common word. To confess is to say the same thing as somebody else. So this is a statement, not that you came up with on your own. This is not a call for you to live my truth. This is a call for us to hold fast to our truth, namely the person of Jesus Christ. We, the church, confess that Jesus is our great high priest and the son of God that's what we're holding on to this morning. That's what we're holding fast to. This is what in the midst of whatever cultural shifting may be taking place, whatever sinking sand you may feel like you have stepped into, whatever triumph or tragedy, joy or sorrow, we must hold fast to this confession. Jesus is our high priest and he is the son of God. Perhaps you noticed at the beginning of verse 4 the words, since then. Since then, we have a great high priest. And what this means is this idea in verse 14 follows logically, at least for the author of Hebrews, from what he wrote in verses 12 and 13 about that flashing double-edged sword that's you know slicing and dicing us and dividing soul from spirit, all of that. Somehow, that is uh, connected to this idea that Jesus is our great high priest. What we realize is that this living and active word of God about the word of God slicing and dicing and piercing and exposing is that what is taking place in those verses is a sacrificial reality. By his word, Jesus, our great high priest, is turning you and me into an acceptable sacrifice. That's what's going on. He's making us fully pleasing and acceptable to God. Colossians 1 says that Jesus, our great high priest, is determined to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Ephesians 5 tells us Jesus is using his word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So this verse and this reality, this confession we hold on to, that Jesus is our great high priest, reshapes the way we see the words work in our life. What feels painful, those parts of your life that feel exposed, The conviction that you're experiencing when you encounter the word of God is actually the work of Jesus, our high priest, making us fit to enter the presence of God. He's probing those painful spots. He's cutting out those weaknesses, those sins, those blemishes in order to make you perfect. And acceptable to God. And so we need to hold fast. Brothers and sisters. For we do not have a high priest. Who is unable to sympathize with us. In our weaknesses. But one who in every respect. Has been tempted. Tested as we are. And yet without sin. The author of Hebrews says. He knows. (laughs) He sympathizes. With your weaknesses, and yet this Jesus, our high priest, the one we're holding on to, he is without sin. And that's not usual. Chapter 5, verse 2 tells us, typically a high priest can deal gently with the ignorant wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, if you know the Old Testament, the priest... He is obligated to offer a sacrifice first for his own sins. He cannot come into the presence of God until he's sacrificed for his own sins and then for those of the people. So, usually, the reason why a high priest is able to sympathize with the people is because he's weak just like them. But that's not the case for Jesus, he's without sin. Usually a priest's sympathy arises from his own sin, but Jesus' sympathy arises from his heart. It has nothing to do with Jesus being weak and sinful like us. It has everything to do with Jesus by nature being a person who sympathizes with sinners. Hold fast. We have a high priest who helps us. Hebrews says, Jesus gives us timely help. When we are falling short, when we do not know what to do, we come to him and we don't find his condemnation or even his disappointment. When we come before the throne of this great high priest, we find help. Every time. I wonder... Those of us who are fathers or mothers, teachers, bosses. When we see someone who's weak and falling short, what is our first inclination? To judge, condemn? Is it to help? That person needs my help. That kind of response is what flows out of Jesus' heart, a sympathetic heart. And this help, this intercession of Jesus is his priestly activity. And you don't have to take my word for that. This is what the author of Hebrews says. We have a great high priest, and his greatness is that he sympathizes with weak people like us. Not because he's a sinner like us, but because it is his nature to sympathize with sinners. And he watches us in order that he might supply the grace and the mercy that we need just when we need it. To help us when we're at our weakest point and about to give way, let us hold fast. Our high priest knows how to pray for us. He knows how to forgive us. He knows exactly how to help us. We confess that Jesus is our great high priest. Let us hold fast to that confession. We also confess that Jesus is the son of God. Verse 14, we said, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. This is basically the same statement that the author of Hebrews makes in chapter 3, verse 1, when he calls Jesus the apostle of our confession. Apostle just means sent one. And if we affirm that Jesus is the sent one, then that means we believe he was sent from the Father. This is what John says. We have seen and testify that the Father sent his Son. Apostle, Jesus is the Son of God. The Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So we confess and we hold fast to this confession. Not only is Jesus our high priest, he's the son of God sent from the father. And we look at Jesus and we read about him in the gospels and we think to ourselves, why is Jesus so different from us? Why does he act this way when I always act that way? Why does he respond to this circumstance this way? And that's never how it goes for me. And you, we might be thinking to ourselves, well, Maybe it's because Jesus was just never put through the ringer like I have been. You know? He never really struggled. Everything came easily to him. He never encountered the same trials or tests or temptations as me. That's why he's so perfect and we are so sinful. No, he is sympathetic, he suffers with us. He underwent the same testing we did, but where we failed, he succeeded. Where we sinned, he remained without sin. Why? Well, there's only one reason. Because Jesus is the Son of God. And this is good for us because when we encounter these tests and temptations that Jesus has also encountered, guess what? Jesus knows how to help us He knows where we will go wrong. He knows where he went right and how to help us do the same. So when we're pressed on every side and we face temptation and the testing grows long, he knows exactly how to help. And as the son of God, he is actually in the position to help us because when this Jesus died on a cross, God raised him from the dead, brought him through the heavens and placed him on the seat of authority which the author of Hebrews calls the throne of grace. Let's just hold fast to that thought for a minute. The place where Jesus is seated now is titled the throne of grace. That's where the son of God sits. And he's been given all authority over heaven and over earth and over your life and over my life and over all of the circumstances And the course of history has been given over to him. And he's ruling this from a place called the throne of grace. And if this is true, that Jesus is seated there as our high priest and as the Son of God, then wouldn't that compel us, secondly, to draw near? This person we confess to be the one who intercedes and prays on our behalf with the Father and who is perfect in every way we are not and wants and sympathizes and wants to help us He's seated on a throne called the throne of grace. Shouldn't that compel us? Draw us to him. Draw near. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. These two words draw near are an open invitation daily, hourly, every second of the day. If you are holding fast to Jesus as your great priest and king, you can draw near to his throne. Do you need more grace and more mercy today? Draw near. Have you fallen into sin and temptation again? Draw near. Do you feel even more feeble and worse? Draw near. Crawl if you have to. Get some friends to put you on a stretcher and carry you into the presence of God if necessary. But draw near. if you're here today and you say, I don't know what that looks like, go grab a a friend or a Christian that you trust, or you feel too feeble to go into the presence of God, grab a hold of a mom, a dad, your boss, your friend, someone you trust, and ask them to take you there. Take me to be with Jesus. Help me draw near. So often in the gospels, we find people who don't go directly to Jesus. It's some parent or some boss, or some concerned friend who is dragging that person or bringing their case to Jesus. They're drawing near on behalf of their friend, the person they love. Don't go to the throne of grace alone. Take somebody there with you. Draw near. When we approach the throne of grace, we know what we are going to find because we know who Jesus is. Jesus, our great high priest, will give us mercy. And Jesus, the Son of God, will give us grace. We know what we're going to find. Draw near to receive mercy. You know, in the Old Testament, the people of God were not allowed to go into the presence of God. They couldn't draw near to the mercy seat. They had to send a priest to do that. And and the way the priest could get in there was first he had to sacrifice an animal and take that blood into the presence of God. And that's what verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 is explaining. For every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. So the men can't go into the presence of God. The priest goes on their behalf. And to do what? To offer sacrifice gifts and sacrifices for sins. So the people hoped to receive mercy by sending a priest into the presence of God, offering up sacrifices of bulls and goats. But we know that we will receive mercy when we draw near because Jesus, our priest, has gone in and offered the sacrifice of himself. Verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who who obey him. This is the point. When we draw near to Jesus... Do you know what we will find him doing? Praying for us. And we're no longer a stone's throw away and we get closer to Jesus and we draw near to him. And we listen to what's going on on that throne of grace. Our high priest is praying for us by name. The prayer that we hear Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane didn't stop at the cross. They continue forever. When God appointed Aaron as his high priest, the only one allowed into the most holy place, he he made Aaron wear a breastplate that had all 12 names of the tribes of Israel so that the people would constantly be on Aaron's heart. But the very reason why God appointed Jesus as our great high priest is because we were already on his heart. Jesus joins us in our weakness, not in being weak, but in the suffering of praying for us. It's his prayers that show us his sympathy and mercy. As Dane Ortland puts it, gentleness is not one way Jesus occasionally acts. Gentleness is who he is. The help that comes to us in our time of need, the mercy that we find every time we draw near, comes to us because (coughs) Jesus, our high priest, is a reverent prayer. Verse 2 tells us that he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Ortland continues Jesus does not get flustered or frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness for renewed pardon with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. That's what he came to heal. We are an ignorant and wayward people, and to those very kinds of people, the author of Hebrews says, John, here. Come on. Jesus wants you to come. You will find mercy. Mercy. Not only do we find mercy for our sins because Jesus is our high priest, but when we draw near, we find grace because Jesus is the Son of God. The favor of God beams down from us from where Jesus sits. Think about who Jesus is in the Gospels, just for a minute. The way he's so gentle and compassionate with the people. His grace Think about the way he interacts with the sick and the weak, the needy. Always supplying exactly what they need. His welcome. Now imagine that same Jesus seated on the throne of grace over all of heaven and all of earth, saying to us, Draw near. The risen Lord alive and well in heaven today is not somehow less approachable or less compassionate than he was when he walked this earth. It's the same Jesus today, yesterday, and forevermore. And so when we draw near, should we not expect to find the same grace that has been found for centuries? In fact, it's Jesus' sonship that qualifies him to sit in that seat in the first place. Verse 5. And again, this passage, uh, I'm sorry, verse 5 of chapter 5. So also, Christ did not exalt himself. He didn't have the audacity to go and sit in that seat and say, This belongs to me. No, he was made high priest. He was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. The throne of grace from which God dispenses all of his blessings and favor is reserved for one person, the Son of God. When Jesus faithfully suffered and passed through the grave and returned to heaven, the Father said to him, Go ahead and take your seat, my son. So let us draw near to the throne, brothers and sisters we can have confidence that we will find grace and the favor of God. The provision that you need to walk in obedience. Verse 8 says, For although he was a son, or I would rather it, son though he was, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. So what the author of hebrews is referring to here is jesus the perfect son of god he came down to earth he submitted to being born of the virgin mary he lived a perfect life walking in absolute and total obedience to his heavenly father and then when the father asked him to walk the road of suffering he did faithfully falsely condemned beaten mocked ridiculed nailed to a cross bled out but when he said the words it is finished Jesus was talking about the perfect obedience that you and I need in order to be saved and what the author of Hebrews is saying is that because Jesus is the son of God God was able to place him on a throne and from that throne guess what he is dispensing to you and to me the perfect obedience that we need to be saved the source of eternal salvation that's what he's pouring out upon all who draw near because no son of god is disobedient and the problem is we are disobedient right we are we need the perfect obedience of jesus if we have any hope of being with the father But when we draw near, by his grace, Jesus gives us what he suffered and bled and died in order to offer us. By grace, he gives us his perfect obedience. Perhaps you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. What we realize is that's not a law. That's an invitation draw near and i will give you the perfection that you need. Romans 8 tells us that we are being conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So this is about a path. The path to perfection is a pathway paved with obedience. It's a path that Jesus the Son has walked before us. And when he says, follow me, we know where he's leading us. He's taking us through the heavens to be with the heavenly father. And he's been down this path. He knows the way he knows where we're going to grow weary. He knows where the pitfalls are. He knows the hills that we're going to need a friend to help carry us up. He knows the places along the way where we're going to grow hot and weary. And as we run these, this race, Jesus, the son puts these grace stations along the way like Gatorade stations, you know, where he knows you're going to need a cup at this point. He knows you're going to need cheerleaders along this section of the run. He knows you're going to need someone to help pick you up so that you can keep going along that stretch. All grace, all gifts sent from the son to the sons. Our older brother looking out for his younger brothers as we make our way along the same path of obedience. And so, brothers and sisters, these are our two encouragements this morning. Let's hold fast. Hold fast to our confession. Jesus is our high priest. We know he's the son of God. And so may those two truths compel us to have the audacity and confidence to draw near. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, even in addressing you and coming into your presence, we have to trust that you will not strike us dead for the audacity to speak to the Lord of heaven and earth. Give us the help we need today. We pray, pour out your mercy and grace in tangible ways. Let us know your comfort, your sympathy for us and our weakness. We pray that you would use each of us to encourage one another along this path of obedience We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have become the source of the salvation that our souls desperately long for. I pray if there's anyone here this morning who does not know you, I pray that they would draw near this morning and find for the first time the grace, the mercy that they need to help in time of need. It's in Jesus' name we trust and pray. Amen.